Broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, it's 88.7 WLUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writers. And, uh, and a, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself and <laughs> asking if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. Well, that wasn't the ending most people wanted, but Loyola's season came to an end this week against Ohio State in the NCAA tournament. It was um, not a very good game all around, and I'm talking both teams. Even Chris Holtman said that after the game, that it wasn't the best played game, but Loyola had their chances, but Ohio State pulled away. I mean, the two-headed monster, as I wrote, EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham had 30 points and, you know, free throws and layups. It's plain and simple. We're going to do a Whole recap of this game. We're going to look ahead to the A-10. What's next in the offseason? Take any questions here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WLUW 88.7 FM. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. So great to be back with you. And I was kind of planning on, I wouldn't say planning. It's kind of banking on, you know, not doing a show in case the tip-off time fell during this time slot like it did last year when Loyola played Illinois, which tomorrow, happy one-year anniversary to that game, by the way. But... That game on Friday, I was working for on three covering that game, and oof. Yeah, it didn't go very well. Um, before I get to that, though, uh, just looking at the clock here, I will have live updates on Illinois-Houston, which is tipping off here shortly if it hasn't tipped off already. So I will have updates for you on that game. That game's going on right now in Pittsburgh. But... That's just something I'm going to do throughout the show. Anyway, I watched most, I'd say, I think I missed one or two of Loyola's games this year. Watched them all pretty close. And the way I watch them, you know, I'm watching for, okay, what went wrong, what went went right. And Friday's game, I don't think it's a stretch to say, worst game they played all year and it's not close. I mean, it happens. Sometimes you just have a bad day. It's not a knock. Sometimes you just have a rough day, and it was a rough day for Loyola. 15 for 56 from the field. They got 56 shot attempts off and made 15 of them. 8 for 28 from downtown, and the stat that bothers me, 3 for 10 from the free throw line. Only three guys got to the line 
Lucas Williamson made one of six. Marquise Kennedy went two for two. Tom Welch went over two. The other telling stat is that Loyola went four for 18 on layups, which is not good. And that's an understatement. That's really not good. Final score of the game was obviously 54-41. Ohio State moved on. They're playing Villanova today in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Loyola went home. And it was not a very fun press conference. At least it didn't look like it. You know, I did not have a credential. I was not there. I was working from home. And I was working my usual news desk shift for on three. And when we cover those types of games, you know, we cover Ohio State. Because obviously we do Power 5 conferences right now. So I had to write that game. And I wrote it kind of from the Ohio State perspective, which was really weird to do by the way. Like, that was much different than what I'm used to. But watching that game on TV, I even tweeted, it was it was brutal. So, tough way to end the year. You know, I, I can't help but feel bad for guys like Lucas Williamson, especially. You know, Lucas, he started his career in that 2018 season Went to the Final Four that first year, and that run, I stand by it, that run does not happen if a freshman Lucas Williamson does not make a huge defensive play on Lonnie Walker for Miami and knock the ball out of bounds off his leg. Now, Lonnie Walker went on to get drafted that year, playing for the San Antonio Spurs right now. Freshman Lucas Williamson, first ever NCAA tournament, obviously, made that huge play. That set up Dante Ingram's shot. That won that game which set up Clayton Custer's shot to beat Tennessee, which set up Marcus Towns' shot to beat Nevada, which set up the drubbing of Kansas State in the Elite Eight, which set up the berth in the Final Four. So if you're connecting the dots here, that run of the Final Four does not happen without Lucas Williamson. And that was in 2018. Now, his career, what he's done on the court, off the court, watching him grow in multiple facets has been amazing. To see his college career end that way was really tough. One for ten from the floor, one for five from three, one for six from the free throw line. He had four points to go with five rebounds and six assists. So he was still helping in other areas. He also had three steals in that game. Malachi Branham had the game high at four. Just an absolutely tough way for him to go out, and for all of them. You know, I'm looking at Ahir Ugwak, who had two points on one for six shooting. Looking at Tate Hall, who had three points, one for four shooting. Keith Clemens played three minutes. Those are your guys you brought back. And with that much experience, I really thought, and I wasn't alone because Loyola was favored. I mean, Ken Palm had him favored. They were favored in the odds. I really thought that experience would be vital on that stage, especially because, yes, Ohio State has E.J. Liddell, who was an All-American this year. But Malachi Branham was the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, and Brad Underwood, the Illinois coach, which that game just tipped off, by the way. Brad Underwood said after Ohio State beat Illinois that the Buckeyes had the best player in the Big Ten, and it's not Liddell. Malachi Branham's going to be special if he sticks around. 
You saw what those two could do. They combined for 30 of the 54 points. Liddell had a double-double, 16 points, 10 boards. Branham, again, had four steals to go with his 14 points, five rebounds, two assists. But let me tell you, the Loyola defense did its job. They held Ohio State to 54 points. That's their second lowest total of the year. They scored 51 against Indiana in January. I mean, watching that game, if you'd have told me beforehand that Loyola was going to hold Ohio State to 54 points, I'd be happy. I mean, you don't hold a team like that to 54 points and lose. Except when you miss all those shots. And I retweeted it from Shot Quality, which measures the quality of shots taken and kind of, it kind of projects what would have happened if they'd have not made all of them, I don't think. I think it's just simply play their game. So the final score, as I said, was 54-41 to 41 Ohio State. According to shot quality, if Loyola makes the quality of shots they normally make, Loyola wins that game 65-62. They win 58% of the time. That's what the analytics say. And I, I go back to 4 for 18 from layups. They noted it on the broadcast multiple times. It was Kevin Harlan, Dan Bonner, Reggie Miller. You had the A-team. Well, the A-team's Nance and Raftery and Hill, but I like Kevin Harlan a lot, and I like Dan Bonner a lot. Reggie Miller, I can take your leave. But anyway, they were even saying they're missing these bunnies at the rim. How many wide-open layups have they missed? Not all of these layups were wide open, let me be perfectly clear. I'm not saying they should have gone 18 for 18 on layups, but you can't go four for 18. So I really don't know how to diagnose it. I don't. You know, I've thought about this the last 48 hours or so, and I, I have no idea how to diagnose that game. That's why I sit in my chair on either press row or behind my computer writing about the games instead of sitting in the chair next to the scorer's table with a clipboard in my hand. There's a reason I didn't go that route. But I can tell you it was an early end of the season. It was a disappointing end of the season. If it would have been... 54-52 when Ohio State won on a last-second shot. I think the tone's a little bit different here. But the fact that they scored 41 points, you had guys have career-worst games, it's just a disappointing end. You know, next year's going to be weird for a variety of reasons. But there are people who don't know Loyola basketball without Lucas Williamson. I covered one year of it. The first year of Loyola basketball I covered, here are some names. And I'm not talking like the names that were there in 2018 at the Final Four. I'm going to tell you some names that were there my freshman year. Milton Doyle, all-time great Loyola Rambler. Mo Kirby was on that team. He went to IUPUI. Vlatko Granich was on that team. He went over and played professionally. That team that I covered in 2017 was the number five seed at Arch Madness. At the time... That was the highest seed Loyola ever was at that tournament. Lucas Williamson's career is going to be defined by success, and it needs to be remembered that way. It should not. And Drew Valentine talked about this in the press conference. I didn't end up pulling that quote. But Drew Valentine even said, his career should not be defined by a 1-for-10 shooting performance for 4 points, 5 rebounds, and 6 assists. It should be remembered for the three NCAA tournament appearances. This week's 16 appearance, beating Illinois, locking down Io DeSumo, against Illinois, going to the Final Four, 
as a freshman, what he's doing off the court with the Loyola Project. That's how Lucas Williamson's career needs to be remembered. Yes, it didn't end well. It didn't end the way any of us envisioned it ending. But we need to keep it in perspective that he's the winningest player in program history and his number one's going to be hanging in the rafters someday. I know we've thrown that around the last few years, you know, should Dante Ingram's number be up there? Should Milton Doyle's number be up there? To both of those, I argue, yes. Should Clayton Custer's go up there? Ben Richardson's? We can have those conversations down the road. But I think we all can agree that number one needs to be retired and hanging in the rafters at Gentile Arena. Bravo, Lucas Williamson, and a fantastic career. And like I said, just watching him grow, I remember talking to him after that Miami game, he walked me through that play on Lonnie Walker to knock that ball out of bounds. I remember it vividly, and I wish I had the soundbite handy, but I don't. I, had to, I know where it's at, but I, I can't get to it right now. But he walked me through that play as a freshman. I was blown away at how well-spoken he was, how well he could break down that game. I saw the basketball IQ then. You've seen that consistently the last five years. I have no idea what's next for him. I'm hoping he's going to go pro. I expect him to go pro. He's going to be successful at whatever he does. All of these guys are. I hear Ugwak, Tate Hall, Keith Clemens. Whatever they go off and do, they're, they're going to be successful. That's just who they are. So that's a big reason why next year is going to be very, very weird for the Loyola basketball program. The other is they're obviously moving conferences. The Missouri Valley days are done for the basketball team. Now, this move is not official yet. You've still got sports competing. You've still got golf. You've still got softball. You've still got track. You've got all of those still competing in the Missouri Valley. So Loyola fans can't say, oh, we're done with the Valley now. No, you're really not because the move doesn't start till July 1. I understand... Twitter has been interesting. I've heard that from multiple people. I understand how that's going. But let me put it to you this way. You can start looking at the A-10. I know people have started looking at the A-10. I know the A-10, they joke about it being a three-bid league. They brought Loyola in as the quote-unquote third bid. I thought it was hilarious. You can do that, but you've still got to finish out this year with the Missouri Valley. Go support the softball team. I don't know if you can get to a track meet. I don't know. I don't think they play anywhere or compete anywhere close, but go to a track meet. I mean, go to men's volleyball too, but they're not in the Missouri Valley. But my point is, you can start kind of looking toward the A-Town a little bit. We're not there yet. Now I'm going to start looking ahead to it now just to tell you what you can expect. I'm also going to look at the roster here. Jonah Blatt, P1 listener, chimes in. It was Oregon State all over again. Yes, I had flashbacks to that Oregon State game last year in the Sweet 16. Career worst games across the board in that game, talking about the Ohio State game, and he says, put number one in the rafters to open Gentile next season. I, I'd agree with that. I'd absolutely agree with that. I also think number 35 needs to go up there too because we're not having this conversation without Milton Doyle. But I'm sure his number will be up there in time. So I've told you about who's leaving, senior-wise. I told you about the four that came back. They took the extra year. 
They led this team to another NCAA tournament, first time since 1963-1964, by the way, they've made back-to-back -back NCAA tournament appearances. Now, who's left? Well, that's a great question, and I don't know if I have the answer yet, because, and I know this has been confirmed on sports radio by Mike Bray at Notre Dame, who's becoming one of my favorite coaches in college basketball, if he wasn't already. There's talk of a waiver for the Ivy Leaguers. You know, Mike Bray has one at Notre Dame, and Paul Atkinson, who had the game-winning shot against Rutgers in overtime or double overtime, it was insane on Wednesday night. Loyola has two. Got Chris Knight and Ryan Schwieger. I have no idea what's going to happen there. And the context for this, if you don't know, the 2020-21 season, the Ivy League did not play. There was no season in 2020-2021 for the Ivy League. They didn't play at all. Now, Chris and Ryan transferred because the Ivy League does not allow graduate students. So they transferred out as grad transfers from Princeton and Dartmouth. They ended up at Loyola, and they were Porter Moser recruits that Drew Valentine kept in tow. Played this year, and there's talk of trying to get another year of eligibility for them because their year was wiped out by the Ivy League. I have no clue if it's going to happen. I have not heard anything in months. The only thing I've heard about it was that Mike Bray is also working it, and that was because he was on the score a few weeks ago. So when I talk about the roster for next year, I'm not planning for those guys. If they come back, great. But if they don't come back, you have to be prepared for life without them. And Chris Knight proved to be a valuable piece down the stretch. want to say he was, was he top five in the country in field goal percentage? I think he was top three at one point. But he was like nationally top 10 in field goal percentage. Ryan Schwieger went ice cold for a while, then found a shooting stroke, and then, like everybody on Friday, went cold again. He had he had eight points, three for six shooting, two for four from three. to go with six rebounds. So those two, let's just plan to not have them. I mean, that's just the best way to go about it. Because if you plan for them and then you don't have them, you're making contingency plans on the fly. So here's what life can look like without Schwieger and Knight. You've got Braden Norris coming back, which is good from a leadership standpoint. Marquise Kennedy is coming back, which is good from a leadership standpoint. Tom Welch is coming back. He took a huge jump this year. And I expect him to take another one next year. Those are going to be your leaders next year. They are going to be, I don't want to compare it, but I'm going to compare it. They're going to be your, your Ben Richardson, your Dante Ingram, your Andre Jackson. Or you can put Clayton Custer on there too. Either way, they're going to be your three leaders. You're going to rely on them from a leadership standpoint. You've also got Jacob Hudson set to come back. T.Y. Johnson, St. Thomas. Now, T.Y. and St. didn't get rotational minutes this year, but I have a feeling they're going to play big roles next year. I think they're going to have to. T.Y., 
I saw a video from the Loyola basketball team that said there was a Loyola basketball account that said Lucas called him his son, kind of like Ben Richardson called him, called Lucas Ben's son type of deal, that kind of relationship. That bodes well. St. Thomas is going to be a special player. I'm just telling you right now. He's going to be special. We show He showed flashes of it this year. And I think he's just going to be really, really special. Ben Schweiger redshirted this year. More on him in a second. And then you've got three freshmen coming in, and Trayvon Lewis, Jaden Dawson, and Jalen Quinn. Jalen Quinn's a local kid. My big question mark here is Demise Anderson. And that's because he transferred from Indiana. Didn't play much for Archie Miller. More on Archie Miller in a little bit, too. He played for Archie Miller at Indiana. Didn't play a lot. Transferred to Loyola in May of 2020. That was right before I wrapped up my time at the Phoenix. I think it was the day before my last day. He was going to redshirt last year. Then they gave the waiver. And then he played a little bit. And then he redshirted this year. My point is, I know nothing about him. I know absolutely nothing about him. That's what you're looking at personnel-wise next year. And I think this is a really talented freshman class. And we talked about the leadership. Well, Drew Valentine, in a way, kind of addressed how he's going to approach things in the offseason and it ties into a leadership and experience standpoint as well. This is his answer from the press conference after Friday's game. I think the first thing we got, we got to do, me and my staff got to do a great job, obviously, in the transfer portal this spring. Um, I mean, you can see Twitter. I mean, we're, we're involved, we're, we call, you know, we're, we're, we're working it. We, we're high motor with it. Um, so we got to crush that. We got to get guys that are um, great fits for our program. Um, you, you see the success that we've had, you know, six straight years and all league transfer, really hard to do. Um, Missouri Valley Conference, there's 15 guys make the all league team. Six straight years, there's been a transfer from Loyola Chicago on Missouri Valley Conference team. So that's that's pretty hard to do. We got some some good stuff to sell. So we got to crush that. And then we got to continue to to get better. Like the guys that have been here have gotten better. So like, um, you know, like a Braden, he's I, I think he's way better this year than he was last year. Lucas obviously made a huge jump offensively. Here got better. Tate got better. Um, you know, Ryan Schwieger got better. I mean, the, the guys that have been within our program have gotten better. So we got to have a great we got to get the right guys. We have to, you know, obviously continue with the culture piece off the court, on the court, um, the vibe, and then we got to continue to get our guys better. Um, I think we've got some guys. You know, Ben Schweiger's been a guy that we've gotten way better this year, and I'm really excited for his future. So That was Drew Valentine after Friday's game. Very somber press conference, by the way. I went and listened to the whole thing before pulling a, that soundbite. But no, the fact that Ben Schweiger's taken a leap is encouraging to me because he's a very intriguing player. Ben, obviously, from Aurora. He played volleyball. So he is an all-around athlete, which is good. That's a big reason why Porter recruited him because this is one of Porter's recruits. Big reason Porter recruited him is because he's an athlete. Porter loved to recruit Athletes. 
And Ben Schweiger is one of them. I'm glad it's pronounced Schweiger, by the way. And if Ryan Schweiger comes back, you're going to have Schweiger and Schweiger spelled the exact same way, and that's going to throw everybody off. But he, he is so intriguing from that standpoint because he can jump out of the building from what I've seen in videos. And, yeah, he's a player I'm really looking forward to seeing, as well as these freshmen. You know, Jonah weighs in with his favorites. He says, Trey Lewis and Jalen Quinn have instant impact potential as freshmen, Mr. Basketball finalist, and first-team All-State, respectively. I've watched a little bit of Jalen Quinn this year just because he's from Tuscola. So I've kind of followed him a little bit through, you know, IHSA basketball and everything. Kid's going to be something. He's going to be something. So this is a talented freshman class, but you heard Drew say they're going to hit the transfer portal. And as I look at the scholarship chart here, they could have two scholarship spots available, but a Schwieger, that's a Schwieger and Knight don't come back. If they come back, there are no spots available. So the question there is, who's entering the portal? And I'm just going to be straight up and down. I shoot straight. You know, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to act like I know anything I don't know. I have no clue what this roster is going to look like in a few months because with the, the new transfer rules, you don't have to sit out if you transfer one time. That's why you saw, you saw guys like Schwieger and Knight. Yes, they sat out last year. But that's because they, they didn't have a schedule last year. And they were graduate transfers, but if they'd have transferred in as undergrads, they still would have been able to play. You see guys like Joe Yesifu at Kansas, transferred from Drake. You see guys like Jake LaRavia at Wake Forest, transferred in from Indiana State. They were eligible right away. That's what the landscape is looking like now. The transfer portal is going to be a huge part of this offseason, whether Loyola's in on players, which they have been. I mean, you heard Drew say it's on Twitter they have been, and, you know, I've seen it too. They, they've absolutely been in on some guys. I'm not going to read them all to you. I can't keep track of them all sometime. But they've come up quite a bit here. So they're working the portal, and I'm guessing... This is just a guess. I mean, I, I seriously, I had not talked to anybody since this game. I'm kind of letting the dust settle before I start asking stuff like this. I have not heard from anybody about anybody leaving the program. I don't have a name to watch for you potentially leaving the program. Mainly because it's not my full-time job. Like, my full-time job is covering Power 5. So I'm kind of busy. I get busy with that. And I, I don't hope that didn't sound like snarky in a way because I feel like it kind of did now that I hear it in my headphones here. But I, I didn't mean it to be. It's just I have, I'm on the news desk and I'm three. I've got to watch that. I don't really check in with my, my people, as I call it, very much anymore. But I'm going to do my best to do that because we're kind of putting an emphasis on the transfer portal over at On3, which you should check it out, by the way. We kind of track transfers in the portal. Matt Zenitz is unreal with keeping up with transfer news. That's over at On3. Shameless plug. I don't care. I work for him. They pay me. I can give him a plug on the radio show. 
I'm very much intrigued with how this offseason is going to go, with the conference move especially. You know, the conference move is a big part of this. If they were staying in the Valley, we'd be just looking at, okay, here's who's coming back to the roster, here's what the rest of the Valley is going to look like going forward, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we're looking at, okay, what's the roster going to look like, and who are they playing against next year? I mean, we know the teams. We know Davidson, George Mason, VCU, St. Louis, George Washington, Richmond, we know all of these teams. It's a matter of who on these teams is somebody to watch. And I have a couple names for you. I don't have a lot. And again, it just goes back to time. But next week, I'm going to have a full, hopefully, hopefully next week, I'm going to have a full breakdown on players to watch for the A-10 going forward. And I'm going to give you a little more insight, but I've got some storylines I want to read to you here. But first, as we hit the bottom of the hour, I want to remind you you're listening to the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WLUW 88.7 FM, broadcasting from the campus of Loyola University, Chicago, Chicago Sound Alliance. I'm coming to you from my humble abode in Dwight, Illinois, where I've done the show now for two years. It's crazy. I've been home two years now. Moved home thinking it'd be just a couple months because of the pandemic. Here we are, two years. And I'm still here. Scoreboard update for you from... Houston versus Illinois, high-scoring game. It's a high-scoring game over in Pittsburgh. Houston leads 10-7 at the under-12 media timeout with 11-17 to play in the first half. Get a load of this box score. Houston, 4-for-14 from the floor, 1-for-6 from three. Illinois, 3-for-10 from the floor, 1-for-5 from three. Houston's the best defensive team in the country, at least field goal percentage-wise. So I had a feeling this is how this game was going to go. But yeah, Houston's winning 10-7 right now. Just north of 11 minutes left. So the Atlantic 10. What's coming up next year? Who's Loyola going to face? Well, let's... They're not facing, you know, Drake, Northern Iowa, Missouri State, Valpo. The Atlantic 10 consists of, and I only know I only know them all the way because I have it right in front of me. You've got Davidson, Dayton, Duquesne, Fordham, George Mason, George Washington, LaSalle, UMass, Rhode Island, Richmond, St. Joe's, St. Louis. And if I can get my computer to cooperate with me, I can tell you a little more. You've also got St. Bonaventure and VCU. Then you add Loyola to that mix. You saw two teams from the A-10 this weekend. You saw Davidson and you saw Richmond. Now Davidson lost to Michigan State. But Richmond, they beat Iowa on that crazy shot. But then they lost to Providence yesterday, 79-51. But those are two A-10 teams. It was a two-bid league. And I talked about that a little bit last week before Selection Sunday. That Davidson and Loyola had similar resumes. And the A-10 was still a two-bid league. There were still questions about if the Valley would be a two-bid league if Loyola lost in the Arch Madness title game. 
you know, Davidson's got some dudes, and there's a name that stood out to me even throughout this tournament that it rang a bell. You ever have those names that you're sitting here going, I've heard that name before? Any Rambler fan out there remember the name Hun Jung Lee? Let's jump in the Wayback Machine here. December 2019. Genteel Arena. Non-conference game at the time, obviously. It was Loyola versus Davidson. That, until Loyola lost to Missouri State this year, was the last home game Loyola lost. Davidson won that game. I'll never forget it. 59-56 was your final. It came down, it came down to the wire. Yeah, Tate Hall, I've got my I actually have my recap up from the Loyola Phoenix in front of me. Yeah, Tate Hall missed the three-pointer with like four seconds left. Yeah, Loyola was ahead at halftime. They led by eight with 12 to go, and then Davidson got, they, they got hot. Now, why am I bringing up the name Hun Jung Lee? Because in this game, he was the leading scorer off the bench with 19 points. Feels like he's been around forever. Because he was there when I was a senior in college. So he's not unfamiliar with Loyola. You know, he averaged 8.4 points a game that year. But then last year he averaged 13.5 points a game. And this year, 15.8 points per game. He's listed as a junior, but with the way things were with the COVID year, he could come back for another year if he wanted to. And even as I check out which verbal commits has become one of my regular spots to check out, like scholarship limits and whatnot, he's listed as a sophomore because he can take that extra year. No, Davidson did a good job filling the void left by Kellen Grady, who transferred to Kentucky. And Kentucky lost to St. Louis, or St. Louis. Wow. They lost to St. Peter's, which is now going to the Sweet 16. Which, what a story there. I tweeted it out last night. Don't bet against a guy in a mustache in March. As we all know, Cameron Crutwig had the mustache. Drew Timmy has the mustache. Now you've got Doug Eddard in that conversation as well. Which I went on and looked, just because I'm curious. When a team, when a Cinderella team goes on a run, I go check out the student newspaper because I made it well known when Loyola made the run in 18. I was the assistant sports editor for the paper for the Phoenix, and Porter Moser kind of, he was very good to me, and I was there that whole way. It changed my career that year, going to the Final Four. So when a team goes on a run like this, I go check out the student newspaper to see, okay, who's the sports editor that could be going with them? Well, St. Peter's student newspaper doesn't have a sports editor. At least it doesn't according to their website. thought that was really interesting. Figured I'd share that with you here. So congratulations to St. Peter's on making that run. But back on point, you know, Kellen Grady left. That was a big piece for Davidson. But they could feasibly bring back all of these guys next year. You know, I think they're in, I think they're in a really, really good spot. And, you know, they have been for the last couple of years now. You know, looking at it, looking at Davidson, kind of what I, the little bit that I know about the A-10 right now in terms of 
you know, I don't I know the valley inside and out. But Bob McKillop seems like the Ben Jacobson, if we want to compare, of the A10. I mean, granted, Davidson hasn't been in the league since that long. They joined in 2014. But he's been at Davidson now for 32 years, so you could say Bob McKillop is to Davidson what Ben Jacobson is to Northern Iowa. And again, that's just on the surface. I could be way off on that. But the other team to watch is Richmond, which they're going to look much different next year. You know, we, we've heard the names Jacob Gilliard, Nathan Cayo this year in the NCAA tournament. Well, they're leaving. They're done. They're going to have a different roster next year. You know, Tyler Burton's still coming back. But that roster is going to look a little bit different next year over in Richmond. So those are two teams that I've kind of kept an eye on lately. Especially because they've been in the NCAA tournament. But there's also been some coaching changes in the A-10 as well. I about dropped my phone when I saw this one. George Washington fired Jamie and Christian. Now, who is Jamie and Christian? He took over a few years ago, and I follow GW basketball a little bit because my brother's a senior there, which that's going to be cool. I went from having a family rivalry with Illinois State in the Valley to having a rivalry with my brother in the A-10. That's going to be cool. He doesn't follow the basketball team very close. At least he, just, at least he says he doesn't. And I, tend, I just give him a little bit of attention, just like, oh, hey, what can I trash talk about? And Jamie and Christian came over, I think, from Siena. I think that was in 2017, 2018. Anyway, he was a highly regarded hire. I liked him. There was talk last year moving on from him. GW opted to keep him. By their standards, I guess. They were more competitive than they've been in the last few years this year. You know, they finished seventh in the A-10 standings. Overall, they were 12-18, and 8-9 in league play. They were, they were coming up. He took over a rough situation. So news broke last week. They fired Jamie and Christian. And then it comes out shortly thereafter, the entire staff is gone. So that's just a really crazy situation over GW. And we also got news, was this yesterday? I think it was yesterday that this was official. Archie Miller is taking over as the coach at Rhode Island. Remember I told you I talked about Archie Miller later in the show. Archie Miller is heading to Rhode Island as the new head coach there. So the, the A-10 is going to be having a different look next year. And the coaching carousel is not done, by the way. Just before I came on the air, New Mexico State's coach, Chris, is it Chris Johns? He took over at Mississippi State. So this continues this crazy coaching carousel because San Francisco coach Todd Golden, who still looks like he should be a sophomore in high school, one day after San Francisco lost to Murray State, he was announced as the new coach of Florida. Now New Mexico State loses last night. This morning reports are coming out. Chris Johnson's going to Mississippi State. So this coaching carousel has been crazy. Now, before anyone asks... I know people are asking about it. I know there are people talking about this. 
I don't think Drew Valentine's name is coming up in any of these. I have not asked about it, but I do not think so. That's just my my personal opinion with no insight. This is Drew's first coaching job, and he lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I know it sounds bad, but that's kind of how these athletic directors would look at it, I feel like. Don't think Drew Valentine's going anywhere. But this coaching carousel, this coaching cycle has just been crazy. Now, Sean Miller is going back to Xavier. Where did that come from? He was, there was reports, I think, from even our guys at uh, Gamecocks Online over at On3. Gamecocks Central, I'm sorry, Gamecocks Central at On3. That Sean Miller was going to maybe take over for Frank Martin. Well, now he's going back to Xavier. So this isn't done either. There's still some there's still some openings that need to be filled. But the A ten, Archie Miller's a big name. Now he had success at the mid major level before going to Indiana, and obviously Mike Woodson took Indiana to the tournament this year, something Archie Miller didn't do. But the A ten is also a two bid league this year, as I mentioned. You know, they've been a two bid league pretty consistently in recent years. That means there's a lot bigger margin of error if you're Loyola. Because let's say it was Loyola-Richmond in the A-10 tournament, in the A-10 tournament championship, and Loyola had the same resume it does now. We're not asking if they're getting into March Madness. We're asking where they're playing at March Madness if they lose the game. In the Valley, we're sitting there wondering, I asked it on my championship Sunday preview show we were asking okay is Loyola still going to get in the dance if for some reason they lose to Drake I had no idea so in the A-10 it's likely going to be a two-bid league and I did a little bit of comparison last week well now I have a little more to compare this time around because we had the seedings Before I get to that, though, I do want to provide another update on this Illinois-Houston game. Houston's really starting to go on a run. It's 16-9, to 6.41 to go in the first half, so it's been five minutes and still not a lot of scoring. But from the sounds of it, it looks like Houston's starting to turn a corner. So the score is 16-9, to 6.41 to go in the first half. And the round of 32 game in Pittsburgh in the south region. Been kind of half following my Twitter here throughout the show to get some comprehensive updates because my TV is not working out here. I usually have a TV out here. This is where I did my Arch Madness coverage last year, my March Madness coverage last year. Uh, the TV just not working out here, so I'm kind of flying blind until I go get a new one. It just depends on when I, you know, get motivated to go get a new TV out here. So I'm following through ESPN and Twitter, which has been a treat. But Houston's starting to pull away, it looks like. But we saw this with Illinois the other day against Chattanooga. They went on a run late. Illinois led for, what, 45 seconds in that game, and it was all in the last minute. And there's been a flagrant foul called on Houston. Interesting. So let's do some resume comparison. Back to the A-10 here. I'm going to read you two teams, similar to what I did last week. And I'm going to see if you can tell me the difference. 
Both teams are 10 seeds. One went 26 and 6 overall, 15 and 3 in league play, 2 and 2 in quadrant 1 games, 4 and 3 in quadrant 2 games. Number 41 in the net this morning. The other team, 24 and 7 overall, 13 and 5 in league play, 3 and 2 in quadrant 1 games, 5 and 4 in quadrant 2 games. Team number one was an at-large bid. Team number two was the automatic bid. And we were wondering if they'd get in. Team number one, obviously, is Davidson. Team number two is Loyola. This kind of proves my point from last week. Davidson, as an at-large, got a 10 seed. Then again, Richmond, the bid stealer, was a 12 seed. Last year, the Valley was a two-bid league after Loyola beat Drake, and Drake was in the first four. I think that... Now, Loyola, obviously, one more loss, two more losses in conference play, in a... I don't want to say a... Lesser is not the word. People keep saying a lesser conference. No. I'll say lower-ranked conference. How's that? In a lower-ranked conference, they suffered two more losses, but they were still... As of today, and this is after the tournament, after a really rough showing against Ohio State, they were 18 spots higher in the net. The A-10 has a wider margin of error, a bigger margin of error. We're not going to be sitting here sweating on Selection Sunday if Loyola loses in the championship or if Loyola has a really strong regular season, does well in conference play, and, lo- and loses in, say, the quarterfinals or the semifinals. The at-large chances are better, and that's why I really like this move for both sides. And I know people are, I know Valley, Twitter, I've seen, I've seen the tweets. I know, I get it. I've seen people say, okay, have fun in the A-10, nice knowing you. No, I, that's a very small faction of Valley fans, I feel like, and that's just me. I'm also... I deal with Loyola Twitter a lot, so I don't get the full Valley Twitter experience. But I understand there are opinions about Loyola making this move. But mine, and it has been since day one. It has been since it was announced. This is a great move for both sides. Now, next year could be rough. I don't expect Loyola to win the A-10 next year. If they do, I'll be very surprised. I wouldn't be Complaining about it, let me be very clear. I don't expect Loyola to be top two, top three in the A-10. I expect them to be middle of the pack, maybe higher end of the league. And again, a lot depends on what happens with Chris Knight and Ryan Schwieger. Now, the year after next year, so that would be the 23-24 season. They're not expected to lose anybody. They could, um, if Schwieger and Knight don't come back, because that's how I've been approaching this all show, if Schwieger and Knight don't come back, this roster we're going to see next year for Loyola could all come back in 23-24. That would be huge. So next year is going to be a really in-between year, I feel like. Next year kind of reminds me of... Hmm... It kind of, in a way, reminds me of 
because obviously after 2018, you lost Dante Ingram, Ben Richardson, Andre Jackson. 2019-2020, you lost Clayton Custer and Marcus Towns, back-to-back players of the year, by the way. So 2019-20, the only players that were left from that Final Four were Crutwig and Williamson. Well, Bruno Skokner was there too, but he kind of fell out of the rotation that year. So Bruno was there too. I can't, I can't forget about Bruno. I guess we talk about Bruno on this show. I still have no idea what that means. I have not seen Encanto yet. But I, I guess we talk about Bruno on this show. I, I hope I can make that reference. I hope I'm using that right. But 2019-2020 felt like such an in-between year because you had that class of Marquise Kennedy, Tom Welch, and Paxson Wojcik, there's a name for you, he's over at Brown now, trying to replace Custer and Towns that we knew that year was going to be, okay, maybe they'll be middle of the pack. They ended up being what, third and second in the league. They were the two-seed at Arch Madness that year, I think. Yes, 2020, they were the two seed because that was the year both one and two lost on Friday. Yeah, I was there for that. I'm telling you, I feel like Les Grobstein when I do that, the late Les Grobstein. I feel like I'm saying, I was there. Like, that's, like, that's kind of how I feel when I'm talking about these games. But, no, I knew 2020, 2021 was going to be special. I even told my guys at the Phoenix that. I'm like, I'm so jealous you get to cover that team. And there's a reason they made the Sweet 16. But no, next year, going to be rough with all the experience you're losing. But 23-24 could be really fun. And next year is going to, this year, Drew Valentine, I don't, I don't know how to put it. It's exactly what you want to hear from a radio host. Drew Valentine got his feet wet, I guess, this year in coaching. Just head coaching. Head coaching. It's important because he's been an assistant for years. This year he had acclimated with being a head coach, the responsibilities of it, being in the head chair and everything leading the program. Next year he's going to have a really big coaching job to do. And then the year after that will reflect that coaching job he does. And I think he'll be fine. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to struggle next year as a head coach. I think Drew Valentine, and this has been a nationally, a national consensus in a way. Which, did you know Drew Valentine was the youngest head coach in D1 this year? I know it's, I don't like that the season's over, but I'm really glad we're done with that storyline. I got tired of hearing it every game. But I think Drew is a very good coach, and I know a lot of people nationally agree. I think what he did this year was impressive. And I think next year we're going to see his true colors. And again, that's not a knock. That you're always going to see, you find your, what is it? You find your true form through adversity, something like that. Find who you are through adversity. Next year, they're going to have some adversity if they lose Schwieger and Knight. And we're going to see, let's use the Finding Nemo quote. We're going to see how Drew does flying solo. 
We're going to see how he does without these leaders, the Williamsons, the Uwaks, the Halls, the Clemenses. I think he'll be fine. And I think this bodes well for the future. He's a good enough recruiter. I think Loyola's in really good shape going forward, even if next year is going to be rough. Now, as I, wow, great minds, Jonah. I was just about to make this point. This is from Jonah Blatt, who just wrote in. Uh, he's got to find a way to cut down turnovers, general mental mistakes. Not sure if it was discomfort in the new offense, but it felt like we saw a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes this season. Well, they did kind of change the offense. You know, Porter used to run that motion. It was a motion offense, pace and space, shoot to three. This year, I think they relied on the three too much. But that could also be personnel. You know, he went with a small lineup. You know, Jacob Hudson started the year in, in the starting rotation, and now he's starting rotation. I'm in baseball mode. In the starting lineup, and then went kind of the bench part of the rotation, didn't get big minutes late. I think, hey, I think he takes a big leap going forward. I mean, I hope he does. But I think the fact that, and again, I'm planning to lose Knight and Schwieger. You might need to go big with Hudson. And you also got Tom Welch, who can play the five in the small lineup as well, if you want to go that way. I think try some different looks. This year we can see Drew. This year, next year we can see Drew put together his offense the way he wants it to. Because I feel like he had to change Porter's offense to fit what he wanted, and the personnel that was there was still. You know, he had a lot of experience in Porter's offense, so rely on that. And I think next year you're going to see them get more comfortable in this offensive system. But turnovers. Turnovers, free throws. Free throws are free. And also layups. Layups aren't free, but they close enough. They may as well be. Layups are as close to free as you're going to get. But yeah, I think I think Drew's going to be fine. I think this year was you saw first year head coach. It happens. Everybody starts somewhere. If there wasn't such a national regard for what Drew did this year, if there were people worried about stuff, I'd have my my thoughts, but no one I'm not worried and nobody nationally is worried either. And that's a true that's a sign of respect right there that you've got guys like Dan Bonner going on 670 to score just he unprompted talked about how great a coach Drew Valentine is. He's got a great mind, he's a great leader, he's a great recruiter. Put all of those together with a little more experience. They're in good shape. And that's not to say he didn't have plenty of experience before because he worked for Tom Izzo as a graduate assistant. He worked for Greg Campy at Oakland. He worked for Porter Moser at Loyola. So he's worked with some great minds. And he is a great mind as well. Five minutes left here. One final update for you. Houston leads Illinois 23-13 at the last Media timeout with 3.37 to go in the first half, the under-four-minute timeout. The game's going on in Pittsburgh right now. For Illinois, Kofi Coburn, six points, four rebounds. Uh, Houston, Kyler Edwards, and I think it's Tazemore. Tazemore? I think it's Tazemore. Uh, nine points and eight points, respectively. So it's looking like a good game over in Pittsburgh right now. It doesn't... Sound like it's, again, the best played game. 
But that's because, again, Houston will disrupt you on defense. They lead the nation in defensive field goal percentage. At least they did coming into the tournament. So I knew this game was going to be like this. That's the reason I picked Houston to go to the Sweet 16. I picked Houston to win this game in my bracket, which we don't even talk about my bracket anymore. Kentucky, man. I had Kentucky in my final. I had Loyola beating Ohio State. I'm going to catch a lot of heat for that one because I was talking a pretty big game about that pick. Who else did I have? I had Iowa in my Sweet 16. Ouch. I had Baylor making the Sweet making the Sweet 16. They lost yesterday to North Carolina, which that game, that flagrant two on Brady Manic was not a flagrant two. It changed the game. I love a good ref show in the afternoon. That's all I'm going to say about that. Well, my bracket is in shambles just like most everybody. Most everybody in the nation. But still, I think it's been a great tournament so far. We haven't had a buzzer beater, though. We are due for a buzzer beater. One last thought before we wrap up here from Jonah. He says, if Drew can add, I think, it, is it Bobby Clintman or Bobby Clintman? I think it's Bobby Clintman. There were, he committed to Maryland, decommitted. Loyola was in on him hot before he committed to Maryland. Uh, Jonah says, if Drew can add Bobby Clintman to the incoming class, look out. That's the very important wrinkle with Schwieger and CK for me regarding potential waivers. I'd rather have four years of Clintman than one year than one more year of both of them. You know, I think you're I think you've got a point. I think Bobby Clintman would be a piece you can build around going forward. He'd be one of those. We talked about, you know, Jalen Quinn and Trayvon Lewis, Jaden Dawson. We talked about them being instant impact. But Bobby Clintman would be instant impact. There's a reason he committed to Maryland before Mark Turgeon got fired. So I'm going to be following that close. Absolutely. You get, if you can land a Big Ten commit in here. Now, I know you already have one in Demise Anderson, but again, the thing with Demise Anderson, I don't know anything about him. I can't tell you anything about him because he didn't play a lot at Indiana. He hasn't played much. Actually, he didn't play at all this year because he redshirted. He didn't play much last year outside of like gold team scout team minutes late in games. I know nothing about him. I can't tell you anything about his game. So Bobby Clintman can come in, and I know his game. He's a big guy. And Jonah compares him to A.J. Green here. Yeah, I think he can make an instant impact down low because he's a big guy. I think he's a big guy, right? He's like 6'9". Let me double check. Yeah, 6'8". So he can make an impact from that regard as well. So that's something definitely to watch. Oh, he's talking about Demise Anderson. Or, or he's talking about, never mind. I'm getting multiple messages in here. He's talking about Bobby Clintman, not Demise Anderson in terms of the A.J. Green level prospect. Yeah, I'm talking about Bobby too. I'm sorry about that. Now, I should really get out of here before I start stumbling over more words. But we're going to be following recruiting. We're going to be following what to watch in the 810. We'll be following the NCAA tournament. Hope you continue to listen, follow along with us here next week here on the Sunday Sports Shootout on WOUW 88.7 FM. Enjoy the second half of this Illinois-Houston game. And I will see you right back here 
next week for another episode of the Sunday Sports Shootout here on WOUW 88.7 FM. I am out of here. Until next Sunday, stay, stay, stay healthy. See you at 11 o'clock next week. Have an awesome week, everybody.